the series, God is Just Like Jesus. If you want a soft copy of the book to work through this series, then you can email me at chris at godisjustlikejesus.com. There was some point in which I found out that there was no such thing as Bible people who had it all right. There's just regular, everyday people. And we all have weakness, uh, failure, struggles, and sin. And it became critical to me uh, to understand how Jesus relates to people that are not perfect. And I started looking for all the failures and sins of the disciples, and I found quite a few of them. In fact, I'm up to 31 or more. And that really gave me room to breathe with God because I thought, wow, you know, if he's steady with them and cares about them, then there's room for me not to be perfect because, I mean, I'm engaged. I'm trying to walk in goodness and care about people. But man, do I struggle and fail. And I'm not proud of that. And, and I want to grow, right? And so seeing how Jesus relates to the disciples and their struggles, boy, it's been encouraging. I love it. So that's what the series is about. And I want in particular um, to just, well, first I want to tell you, you can find podcasts on this series by going to iTunes or um, uh, Apple Podcasts or to Spotify, hopefully soon Pandora, and you can search for God is Just Like Jesus and you'll find the series. Additionally, you can find information from Instagram and Facebook and uh, of course you're already on YouTube probably seeing this by searching for God is Just Like Jesus. Lastly, if you want to be on an online Zoom meeting with us, we get together in groups of five to ten people, discuss this whole uh, series day by day, week by week, and everybody gets their input in and it's really more of a discussion. For the videos, I'm going to ask you to pause it from time to time so that you can, if you're watching this with a group, dialogue with your group about the questions I ask. If you're on your own, just say the answers or journal them or write them down or whatever because I'm doing my best over a video to get that back and forth interaction with you. And uh, I know it's not as good as being on an online Zoom uh, discussion, but it's what we got with YouTube. I did this series because, uh, if you remember in Matthew 25, there was a parable of the one, two, and five talent people. And um, the one guy with the one talent or $1,000, he had a messed up image of God and he thought God was hard. And uh, he also thought God demanded a harvest without giving him seed. And what I began to realize is that was my mindset uh, as I began to look at Jesus and interact with God. I, I, I love the forgiveness, but I didn't know what he was like. And so my whole desire is that all of us one talent people would really get a clear picture of the goodness of God through looking at Jesus and our hearts would be encouraged and, and we would be able to take care of and love people better, including ourselves and including our family and then our friends and people we work with because we see how Jesus takes care of people. So that's the goal of the series. Okay, I'm going to read this passage. Don't so much look at what Jesus is saying, but look at what he does with the disciples. It's a very simple passage. It's an easy one to start with. Don't overthink it. Um, but it's just this. Mark 4, 3 through 8. He's telling the parable of the four soils. Jesus said, listen, a farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was gather, scattering the seeds, some fell along the path. The birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. 
It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants so that they did not bear grain. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up, grew, and produced a crop, some multiplying 30, some 60, and some 100 times. When Jesus said this, whoever has ears to hear, let him hear. When he was alone, the 12 and the others around him asked him about the parables. And then there's an additional sentence in Luke 8, and this is 9 and 11. His disciples asked him what this parable meant, and he said, the meaning of the parable is, and he goes along to explain it. So, again, don't pick apart the parable and what it means. Just simply articulate what's going on with the disciples after they've heard him say this parable. All right? Hit the pause button and then just come back. So, I love this passage. Very simple, but uh, the disciples are confused. They don't get it. And I love that because, oh my gosh, I read the Old Testament, New Testament many times, more times than I want to document, <laughs> 50, 100 times. I don't know what, I combed that book for 30 years. There's a lot of confusing stuff in there. And I love the fact that the disciples are confused by what Jesus is saying because I realize, oh my gosh, there's room for me and there's room for you, right? So, and there's other, there's other passages where they are confused. In, in the additional study notes of the book, you'll find there's another time they're confused in Matthew 15, where Jesus tells a parable about, in the old world, what made a person clean or unclean. Peter doesn't get it. And um, then there's another place in Matthew 16, where Jesus tells them, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. And they, they don't get that either. And they, there's a lot of things they don't get. So there's dozens of events that I could pull from, but I'm gonna start with this one. Okay, they're confused. I want you to take a moment, again, talk in your group or to yourself, and just say, what was Jesus's response? And I want you to do two things. One, tell what the response could have been if Jesus was like a Pharisee or someone that was, you know, fault-finding and critical, all right? And then tell what what was Jesus's actual response? And then come back. Okay, that part where you develop your own input, I mean, that's where the Holy Spirit really gives you the most information and so important, more important than anything I'm gonna say. So, try to work with those. I love these passages because on the first one, it says simply says, when he was alone, the 12 and the others around him asked what what the parables meant. And he simply says, this is the meaning of the parable and breaks it down. It seems so simple, but over and over and over, we're gonna see one thing Jesus does dozens and dozens of times. It's just simply patient instruction. And the more you see it, the more wonderful it is. He just tells them what the parable means and he breaks it down for them. You know, if you got some heavy handed uh, person or um, critical kind of fault-finding person really a lot in common with the Pharisees in the Bible if you're familiar with kind of their attitude towards the regular people you know the Pharisees would be like can't you figure this out don't you get this 
like uh, you know, if you're my student, you should figure this out. And and they have a lot of uh, negative motivation methods. I'll just say it that way. But again, it can be summed up in things like accusation, fault finding, belittling. Jesus never does that. And here's the beauty of sticking with the series. After you've worked through 15, 16, 17 different passages just in volume one of the book, you will really become convinced, wow, Jesus never accuses or fault finds people. And the passages that you might think he does, we'll work through them and you'll unpack them and you'll go, whoa. He, maybe he's challenging someone. He might even be correcting someone, but what you find out is there's no rejection. So I just wanna encourage you, stick with the series. So in this one, sounds simple, but there's a lot of times the disciples are confused and Jesus explains things to them. Sometimes he challenges them, but it's never with rejection, it's never with accusation. So in each of these days, we'll do a takeaway section. And the takeaway verse, I've got six or seven of them that I worked through, but the one for today um, is John 14, 9. And right before Jesus goes away and dies on the cross, he tells his disciples, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And it's a critical passage because you've got to ask yourself, okay, on the surface, if you've seen me, like a short little brown Jewish dude with a big nose, olive skin, dark hair, and Isaiah says he's not that good looking. That's what God looks like, right? So clearly that's not the meaning of that verse. Jesus says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And, I, what I, and again, this is why I'm saying don't necessarily, don't only look at what Jesus says. I mean, that's critical. We have to do that. But we need to add in, look at how he's relating to people. Because if you look at how he relates to people, what he does and what he doesn't do, you're going to get this beautiful, powerful, awesome picture of God that in many ways I've heard person after person after person say, I never knew it. I never knew God was like that. In fact, I never really even knew Jesus was like that. I've been to church for a long time. But we don't always talk about this kind of stuff. We talk about a lot of other things, but we really don't get into who Jesus is and how he relates to people every once in a while. But Jesus said, if you've seen me, you have seen the Father, God the Creator. And that it's a vast statement, but we'll unpack that. So in this one, what do you see in Jesus and what does that reveal about the Father? Real simple, okay? Hit pause, come back. Well, it's kind of just what we talked about, isn't it? Jesus knows the disciples are confused and he patiently instructs them. That means we can ask, we're confused about things and God will patiently instruct us, right? I mean, just think if the world, the people, the seven or eight billion people on the planet knew that was God's character, that they could, they could ask him things and he over time would explain things to them I mean, the peoples of the nations will cry out and receive answers and help through this journey called life that has so many ups and downs in it. And if that's deep within us, we will talk to God because we know he's going to answer. He's going to talk to us, but he's going to do it in a certain way. He's not going to yell at us. He's not going to find fault with us that we don't know things. He's going to explain things to us. And when, as that goes deeper and deeper and deeper, oh man, you find your prayer life or your conversation, whatever you want to call it, your meditation with God really expands and opens up, right? And there's an element of security that comes in there. 
So that's the takeaway section. The last section we'll do is what I call the worship without music. Don't get me wrong, I love worship, uh, music and I love worship with music, but you know, a lot of times I don't have music and I'm walking or working or just sometimes uh, on my own and I need to be able to worship God on my own and, and incredible things happen when actually you talk to Him about what you like about Him instead of just talking about God. A lot of times we can just talk about God. I want to encourage you to start building worship statements directly to Him. And it's similar to relating to an architect. You can say, ooh, you know, I love the house that you built. And I love the arches and the curves and the doorway and the wood and it's amazing. Or you could really connect with that architect and say, you've built an amazing house. But I've also watched you. I am fascinated by the way you relate to your wife, the way you interact with your children, your nurture and your challenge and, and, and good discipline in their lives. I look at how you work with your workers and you, you, you give dignity to people. I'm amazed by you and I actually want to become like you. I mean, it's a whole different level of praise and um, uh, and just enjoyment of a person. And so that's where I'm trying to go with this whole thing about worship without music. Use the lines in the book, or if you don't have a book, on a three by five card, scribble some things down. What did you see in Jesus in this passage that you liked? Right? Answer that question, hit pause, and then hit start. Well, I think one of the best places to start with these kind of things is just saying what you like about him, right? And in this one, I like the simple thing that like, they don't get it. They're supposed to be the disciples, the apostles. We're all very impressed with them. They're confused. They couldn't figure it out. They asked Jesus and he said, let me break it down for you. What, it, what the parable means is, da -da 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 -da, right? And that is awesome and so what I do is I go out on my my 15-minute walks in the middle of work and I just tell Jesus things I like about him so I would take that and I just say Jesus I just like the fi fact that you explain it to them they're clueless and you know that but you help them understand these deep truths about life in the kingdom and man I really love the fact you don't you do that without any accusation without any belittling without any fault-finding Oh, you're just so refreshing. Lord, you know, I'm confused about some things. Help me understand this. Help me understand that. And over time, he does. So that's just my worship statement I write out of this one. And we'll build a lot more worship statements as time goes by. And here's the point. Worship, not law, is the key to transformation and growing in goodness. Right? Keeping rules and always finding you're coming up short and living in condemnation it's not the best way to grow if any growth happens at all but worship and fascination with Jesus and then enjoying how he treats us and knowing that he cares about us oh my gosh you you worship him and you enjoy him guaranteed you will grow in goodness transformation will happen but it's all about being connected to him all right that's day one Blessings.